400 balls juggling at any one time. <laughs> oh my God, there's so much to do at all times. Yeah. But luckily, you know, we we get it done. And that is the nature of being a freelancer, you know. I know, right? This morning, my daughter, who's five, it's the last two weeks of school. And uh, they have like a themed day every day. And this morning she woke up and she's like, Mommy, today's pirate day. And I'm like, pirate day? <laughs> What in the world? And so I, um, she was like, I need an eye patch. Like, oh my God. So I found some like pieces of foam and some elastic and I hot glued it together. And then she's like, it has to be black. So I painted it black and I painted a skull on it and I put a dish towel on her head and sent her to school. <laughs> well, at least it's not talk like a pirate day, which I just, if anyone does that to me, I just walk away. I'm like, I'm sorry. No, I'm not playing this game. <laughs> you don't ever get cast as a pirate, Jamie? Oh, yeah, I do. But, you know, there's that international day where everyone supposedly has to talk like a pirate. You know that? Oh, no. I. You heard about that? No, that must be it's among obnoxious. British people. <laughs> no, it's not. It's American. It's definitely over here. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what are we talking about today? Let's talk about the ultimate treasure. <laughs> which is corporate narration. <laughs> oh, very, very good. What a transition. Yes, non-broadcast, what do they call them? Um, industrials, if you're in the uh, union world. Yeah, category one and two industrials, right? Yes. Before we move on regarding that, I always get confused as to which one's which. Cat one is public yeah, facing. Yeah, let's look it up. I'm yeah, going to look okay. it up right now. You All keep right. talking to our wonderful... Oh, God. <laughs> I can't To film. our wonderful guests here <laughs> so yeah um corporate narration has many subgenres, and we're going to go through them today and we are referring specifically right now to what the union refers to them as um, which is category one or two industrials and they have as you would guess different categorizations different uses and they pay differently so there's not a huge difference maybe like a hundred bucks or something for a session um, and you are paid by the hour that you work in the studio. So it's not based on the length of the script or the usage of the script. As long as it fits within category one or two, they book you for an hour. You do however much you need to do in that hour. And if it rolls over, you do a second hour or pay by half an hour. So um, that's how it works in the union world. So have you found out which one's which? Yes. Okay. Um, oh, and you know what's interesting is in the agreement, because people are always worried about agreeing to things in perpetuity, right? Mm. But literally in the um, in the SAG-AFTRA agreement, it says right here, category one programs may be used in perpetuity. Yeah. However, a producer shall consider in good faith a request from a performer to remove from public view a category one program that has been used, that has been in use for more than 10 years. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Didn't know that. Category one programs are designed to train, inform, or promote a product or perform a public relations function and are shown on a restricted in-house basis only. Right. 
Category 2 programs are intended for unrestricted exhibition to the general public mm. and are shown at locations where the products or services are sold or at public places such as coliseums, railroad stations, air, bus terminals, or shopping centers. That's really funny that they say coliseums instead of stadia- <laughs> stadiums. <laughs> Such as Colosseums. <laughs> yeah, it's a little lofty. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So um, category one is your e-training, your in-house stuff. Category two is a- exhibition to the general public. Now, I feel like that gets a little bit murky when you're talking about a company brand video that also lives on their YouTube. Yeah. But not necessarily like as a thing that is, you know. But without paid placement or anything like without, that. And yeah, without paid placement. Yeah. I guess that's probably still category one. Yeah, I think so. This is where I feel like non-union probably gets a better rate nine times out of ten than union because you can take into consideration the size of the company, the scope of how many eyeballs are going to get to see that video or whatever it is that you're recording. And quote accordingly. Now, I will say that SAG-AFTRA rates are the base rate. You can negotiate Mm -hmm. up from that. People tend to assume that the rates for SAG-AFTRA are what you're going to get. But that is the lowest you can get paid. Scale is a minimum. Yeah, so you can push your representation to up your rate a bit. But what's interesting about being paid, this is is interesting um, with AI, you know, taking over part of, part of, corporate narration, which we can talk about later in the episode. But so in the non-union world, this work is typically paid per finished minute Mm. or per word or with a flat fee per video. And that means if I have like a 15 minute e-training and just for the sake of argument, let's say that I'm being paid $100 per finished minute. That means that I would get $1,500 for that e-training. That's a pretty decent rate. That's yeah. that's like kind of in my head what I, what I might charge. A 15-minute e-training to record would take me, I don't know, 30 minutes? Yeah. So that's one hour of studio time. And the fee for one hour of studio time um, for off-camera voiceover is five hundred dollars yeah 505 so i would be getting paid less going by a union rate than i would on the non-union side and that's why a lot of people think that this rate structure should be changed but it's not because now now the contract is already renegotiated until 2025, so that's the way it's going to stay. But what's tricky about it is if you're paid by session fee, but there's no session, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like if you if your AI voice is doing it, how can you be paid? There's no structure to be paid for that. So if you're if you have a synthetic voice that's doing an e-training that's 15 minutes long, there's no session. Yeah, I mean, it's just not set up. You know, the other thing is that it actually penalizes you to a certain degree for being good. If you just get tons of copy without really many mistakes done in a session, your per word rate essentially for SAG-AFTRA work is is much lower. 
I will say that if you have negotiated a rate and you are a union talent and it is, say, 1500 bucks for about an hour's work, you can then go to a paymaster and have them convert it. And, you know, you have more than cleared the bar for what a union session would pay. And then you can put it through the union. Now, you will lose a chunk of that around about, what, 30%, something like that, after you've paid health and pension and um, paymaster fees. It's more like 16%. Well, I think once you've paid for everything, including the paymaster... Um, and tax. it's And tax, yeah, it's a chunk. But a big chunk of that will go towards your health insurance. So yeah. um, that is, you know, SAG Health is a pretty great plan and, you know, not very expensive. So, yeah, it's a complicated discussion um, when it comes to the union. And we are going to be doing an episode in the future about union, non-union, and FICOR and what all of that means because uh, there's some confusion. Yeah, definitely. But the, the moral of this story with the union and non-union rates is if you are a union performer, um, this work is the easiest, one of the easiest genres to convert. Yeah. So if it meets the minimum of 505 plus whatever the extra percentage is that you have to add to it, if you're getting paid more than that, you can run that through the union and it can become a union job. And um, that's why a lot of union performers are on sites like Voice123 and mm. Bidalgo and sites where you have a direct interaction with the talent and the client. Because then when the job is over, you can run the um, invoice and all the payment stuff through a union paymaster and they can convert it for you. And then that goes towards your health insurance minimums and your pension, and it's it ends up being a, a good deal. So if your union don't think that you can't be on online casting sites or you can't do direct marketing because it won't be automatically under a union contract, you can pretty much create create that union work for yourself. Yeah, and there are a lot of non-broadcast type contracts that you might not even realize that certain work falls under. And particularly if you speak to like a Soundbox or a Falcon or one of those paymasters that you can actually speak with, they might help advise you, oh, well, actually, this would fall under this contract and this is how much the minimum you would need to charge for this. And they can sort of figure all that out for you. Um, and they're, they're all very helpful with that. Um, moving on slightly, I see this a lot. And I think we've both had many comments on Facebook. Uh, we've both replied to people on Facebook about this. That you mentioned earlier the in perpetuity thing, and it gets a little confused. Like you said, that people are like, oh, never sign in perpetuity, never sign in perpetuity. But for non-broadcast, why is it not such of a big issue compared to the broadcast genres? So non-broadcast, um, really the only genre that you need to worry about with in perpetuity is commercials. Mm. This internal stuff, even technically online ads, don't fall under the same rules as TV ads, which is kind of backwards now because there's so, there are so many more views on streaming than there are on network TV now. But, um, but you really only need to worry about ads because you ads come with the expectation of exclusivity. Yeah. Even if they say we're not asking for exclusivity, you can really make your client mad 
<laughs> if you're voicing a non-union ad for Honda and then you also at the same time are voicing a non-union ad for Ford, yeah. one of those clients will likely not want to work with you again if you do that. In my mind, when I do an ad, I just automatically block it off as exclusivity. Yeah. Radio ads don't really matter. But again, <laughs> if you're doing an ad... Uh, yeah, it's a great ad. Radio idea. really doesn't matter. There's no exclusivity in radio. And radio, you know, is also limited to markets. But this this internal stuff, this corporate narration stuff, this stuff that is, you know, at the airport or or um, in, a, in, a, in a coliseum... <laughs> Um, that stuff does not create legal conflicts for you. You are not the voice of the brand. You are not, um, uh, necessarily selling a brand with your likeness in the same way that you are in a commercial. So that stuff doesn't matter in perpetuity because it's not creating a problem for you later down the road with conflicts. Yeah. And also a lot of the stuff that you're reading when you're doing corporate narration has an expiration date. Usually sure. 99 times out of 100, it's something that is happening right now or in the near future. So that's going to get updated. The rules are going to change. So again, you know, it's not quite so crucial. I would say that from a legal perspective, yes, but from a practical perspective, if you are doing a public facing video for one brand and then another brand comes calling, but they see that video on your website or they see the the name that you've referenced on your website, that might be off-putting to them, knowing that you've voiced something for their competitor. It just is not a good look. So you do have to be careful about how vocal you are and how public you are with some of the brands that you work with that aren't clearly uh, broadcast commercials or meant for public consumption. And of course, anything that is internal, you should never share because it is meant for, for a limited audience. So um now, I guess all those that that is obvious, but it's probably worth pointing out. <laughs> when I was first starting, uh, I was like maybe two or three years into my career. I did a um, I did the phone system for the parts department of Frigidaire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and big time, <laughs> big time, super big time. And I was excited about it. And, you know, I was starting my career, so I didn't have like a lot of huge brands on my website. So I wrote uh, Frigidaire on my website as one of my clients, which is true. They are they were one of my clients, but I did the phone system for the parts department. But then maybe a year later, I was up for a really big commercial campaign with GE and Mm. they were like ready to book me. They had a session date set. We were, it was going to be like five TV commercials or something. And two days before the session, my agent emailed me and was like, hey, so have you done work for Frigidaire? <laughs> and I was like, oh, um, yes, I did the phone system for the parts <laughs> department. And he was like, great, okay, I'm going to tell them that. But then the damage was already done. Yeah. They saw that I put Frigidaire on my website and they were like, actually, we don't think we're going to book her. We're going to book somebody else. Yeah. So it's tricky. Yeah, it's a fine <laughs> I've worked line. with GE since. Yeah. But neither GE nor Frigidaire are now on my website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. let's dive into some of the um, 
subgenres of corporate narration on broadcast work. So, oh yes, a big Love. area that a lot of people make you know a big chunk of money in is training and e-learning and that kind of thing. So, how do you get that kind of work? So I, so actually, corporate narration and e-training and all of these genres are great genres to get from direct marketing. Yeah. A lot of people who do really well with direct marketing, this is the kind of work they do because this is the kind of work that is often produced in-house or with a small uh, video production team or a small e-learning production team. And so direct marketing is very good for this genre. I, however, am afraid of direct marketing. (laughs) (laughs) That's my own personal phobia. (laughs) I do not do a lot of direct marketing. So all of my clients for e-training have come from online casting sites, mostly Voice123. Mm. And uh, and yeah, the other great thing about this work is that it becomes repeat work very easily because once a company knows that you're going to do a great job, they will hire you again the next time they have another 20-minute e-training that needs to be done in 24 hours. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. How about you? Uh, same in terms of the direct marketing and a lot of work coming from pay-to-play. I also have gotten a fair amount of work from LinkedIn just because there was a period there where I was just hitting up every instructional designer, you know, someone who worked in that training e-learning world from the production standpoint and because my profile was filled out with everything to do with voiceover and British guy um, I think that is how people found me also via my website sometimes people find me that way searching for you know it's a little easier for me because British guy based in America you know quite a small pool relatively speaking compared to you Um, a lot of recommendations from people who've moved companies or who have friends who work in that industry who recommend me. And yeah, a ton of repeat work. It is really great for repeat work. Also getting on production company rosters. I do a lot of medical, which I guess is kind of a separate thing from that even. And if you find like a local studio that's in an area where there's a lot of pharma companies, they tend to hire local and they tend to farm the casting out to those production companies or recording studios. And so if you get on the roster of those studios and you have something of interest to offer, I've, I get a lot of work that way too. So it's real, for me, it's, it's a bit of a lot of areas, you know. Mm-hmm. And actually some less industrial work these days from my agent, but those, those come along every now and again as well, um, those sort of non-broadcast. Not so much e-learning, but... Maybe a little bit. Yeah, no, I don't really get a lot from my agent. Sometimes they come through. Yeah, it's not um, a ton. But, you know, typically typically these this kind of work is not cast through agents. No. It's not cast through agents and it's not cast through production companies. It's mostly direct client-to-talent interactions and you find each other through direct marketing or online casting sites. I noticed that a lot of the people that come via agents are people that have been in this world for a long time. I don't want to like yeah. say they're old, but they've been doing it a long time and they are used to the casting model of, oh, I'll just go to an agent and, you know, they'll send me 10 people. And, and even for some of these like cat one, cat two industrials, and they still come in the door sometimes, um, yeah. but it doesn't tend to be 
people under 40 <laughs> who are casting, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. not the way they think, you know. I, I want to go back to just the repeat work thing, mm. because I think that this genre is how you can feel secure in in your living. Yeah. In making a living as a voice actor, because um, and we talked about this in the money episode, but the the bigger the base of people that hire you again and again, the more financially secure you will feel. And I have a client that has hired me for um, internal videos and podcasts. Uh, they started hiring me, I think, in 2019, so four years. And in four years, I counted up. I have it all—all all, all the videos saved in my Dropbox, and I counted up how many, how many uh, videos we've done together now. And it's something like 150 or 175 videos, yeah. and they pay me a thousand dollars a video. Yeah. So that is that is my mortgage. That yeah. is my car. That is those are my bills. Like that's my kids' daycare, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that that is money to live off of from these genres. And actually, if we look at the um the 2022 Nava survey results, you can see that the number two most popular or most the the genre that voice actors do most often, number two is corporate narration, non-broadcast explainers, and e-learning by a, by a lot. Yeah. Number one is commercials. And number two is all of these other kinds of work. Now, that's all fantastic. I'm worried that those genres will be the first to be taken over by uh, AI. Yeah. There's definitely going to be a hit, but I've I'm interested really in why people get hired repeatedly for this kind of work, and I think yeah, it's this kind of work is in is it's obvious to say, but it is intended to educate, and mm -hmm. there's a reason why they don't just give you a manual and say right read that and you're done. They do want people to take in this information and absorb this information. And I did hear recently that. There is some data coming out that it's harder to absorb this information from an AI voice than it is from a human for some reason. We don't know exactly why or how, but I mean, I don't have that data to hand, but it's crucial sometimes if you're dealing with, yeah, like medical or like something to do with government or, you know, you're responsible for people, maybe children or something like that. You mm -hmm. know, this information is crucial. So they don't necessarily want to just put it in the hands of a robot and cross their fingers, hope hope that it's good, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there is some responsibility on the talent to actually deliver this in a compelling and interesting and effective way. Um, yeah. So what do you think makes a good e-learning corporate narration narrator? Why do people get hired for that kind of work and repeatedly so, hired? For, for me, it's all about word emphasis to get the the point across mm. right so i always use the example my father wears his wedding ring right so the, it's this sentence my father wears his wedding ring but depending on which word you emphasize the sentence has a totally different su subtext so if i say to you my father wears his wedding ring that implies 
that your father doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My father wears his wedding ring, like, as opposed to his class ring. Yeah. My father wears his wedding ring as opposed to his wedding tuxedo or whatever. And depending on where you put the emphasis in the sentence, it makes the meaning slightly different. In an e-training, you have to know which words are the important words to emphasize to get the meaning across. And that's something that AI doesn't do perfectly yet. No. Um, it just spits out words and it doesn't necessarily convey the nuance or the, you know, this versus that or whatever, whatever you need that a human automatically knows like, oh, this is supposed to be, we're talking about doing the right thing yeah. versus doing the wrong thing. <laughs> exactly. Comprehension is so important. Yeah. yeah. And, right. and you don't necessarily, you know, particularly if you're dealing with something that is completely out of your wheelhouse and you don't know, like, you know, medical or something, you have to understand the intent of the line, not necessarily the content of the line. Um, yeah. And like you say, AI is going to have a really hard time understanding the human nuances of why you would put emphasis on in certain places and not others. Um, yeah. And understanding the potential audience. So sometimes you know the audience are experts. Other times you know you're, the audience is trying to comprehend a complicated subject in a way that you would articulate differently. You know, So all of those human qualities are important. I also think that trends are shifting a little bit now to be more a guiding hand rather than a lecturer. You know, you're a person that mm -hmm. doesn't want to be told what to do, but helped along, you know. And it is the equivalent yeah. of the difference between someone standing at the front of a lecture theater and, you know, pointing at a blackboard versus someone sat next to you showing you how th something's done. And, and mm -hmm. you know, if you can really lean into that again, you know, kind of with any genre in voiceover, leaning into those human qualities that you have and your sympathy towards any given situation help you to stand out and stand out amongst your peers and stand out against the the robot apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. E-learning e now is not, let's watch a safety video. Yeah. that That's not what it is anymore. But it used to be that you would go physically in person to a company training and everyone would sit in a room and you would watch the safety video. Yeah. Um, now, you know, you, you are at home and... So much of it is interactive. Yeah. So you're recording things like, you know, in order to operate the lift properly, be sure that you're wearing gloves. And then the question comes up, what should you do to operate the lift properly? Wear gloves? Have a cup of coffee? Get a good night's rest the night before. Right. And then yeah. they click get a cup of coffee. And then I say to them, Oh, I'm sorry. Try again. You know, and like, <laughs> yeah. and it really is sitting alongside somebody and coaching them, yeah. coaching them into the right answer and celebrating with them when they get it right and gamifying the whole training experience instead of just having a wall of information thrown at you via some kind of weirdly produced video. And it's interesting because when I, when I, connected with all those instructional designers on LinkedIn. Now I see the feed of some of them come up when I open LinkedIn and they're learning all the latest science of how to actually get a point across, translate information that's really challenging to people that don't either know or want to know about something. So like you said, gamification was a big thing a few years ago. I'm sure it's still a case, but 
they're constantly refining their process. So, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be a simple push button solution. There are genres of, and I guess we can move on to a different, different area of corporate narration now, such as phone systems and IVR, for example, where you're just an information delivery robot that I feel that is, it's going to be difficult to compete with something that you can just literally text to speech your, your copy. It's so easy yeah. to do that if you're a client. Yeah. Um, and they're not necessarily and, so desperate for the human. And quality. people are used to hearing that already. Yeah. People are used to hearing robot voices, you know, doing that kind of work. It's not something that's that's strange to the to the ear and to the mind. Yeah. Um, although I will say that there is kind of a premium quality to a human voice still. Yeah. And if you want if you want your brand to really sound premium, you might rather have a pre-recorded, really good sounding human. Absolutely. It is going to... But maybe people... not. Who knows? Well, no, that, I'm, I'm convinced that's the case. I mean, uh, yeah. it, there's definitely going to be less work, but yeah. there will be a premium on a human voice. And yeah. I equate it to, I remember when I was in New York and I was working in music, a bunch of mastering studios closed down because the music industry imploded. But the ones that survived had tons of work because mm -hmm. there was still mastering required, but, you know, it just couldn't support the full industry. Yeah. But there was always, there was always a market for it. So I feel the similar thing and might that, happen to us. Yeah, that absolutely could be what happens with voiceover because back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, very few but very high-level actors were doing this work. Mm. Um it wasn't something that was open to everyone. Then with with the internet boom and all the online casting sites popping up, we had a, a huge number of people get into voiceover and it became so easy. You could do it from your home. You could, you know, like just get on an online casting site and make a bunch of money in your pajamas, yeah. like the coaches tell you, <laughs> um, the predatory ones. But now I think a lot of that work is going to go away and we'll be back to the place where very talented, high-level people will still be working and their jobs will be fine. And it's all of the, it's, there will be different ways to get into the industry and not as many people will be able to get into the industry because it'll just be a lot less. Yeah, there'll be a void that you have to traverse between learning and figuring out voiceover and making a living right now at least up until this point you can kind of work your way in with some of the pay-to-play sites maybe the like the fivers of this world you know you can earn a living while you grow your career and grow your equipment and grow your studio and networking and stuff so the question then becomes you know how do you fill that void with something and i, I don't i don't know the answer to that question i'll be honest um no one does. No. <laughs> unless you're like Nostradamus or something. Yeah. And even he got things wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, thing, the thing I think, though, is that, the thing, okay, maybe this is, this is unnecessarily harsh, but I listen to a lot of podcasts, and the quality of some of the voiceovers in the podcast are just oh, appalling. Terrible. I can't believe it. So I'm fine with... The quality going up because it, it I just want to pull my 
earbuds out and just throw them in the, on the ground because I can't stand the sound of them. So overall quality going up is is a good thing <laughs> for the consumer. But yeah, just working your way in is going to be a little more challenging. And I think that is going to advantage people who are privileged, you know, who who yeah. can take six months off work and and throw themselves and into voiceover. Voice yeah, and, yeah. S- and just put a, a recording studio on a credit card and just go. And that is a shame. Ooh. That is a real shame. That's a shame. You know. Yeah. Let's shift, Jamie. Okay. Tell me, what is a brand anthem video? And how is it different from a commercial? <laughs> it's on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably on their website or or at a presentation it could be that's true it could be like at their company you know yeah. symposium on whatever it is essentially like a commercial right they're just not broadcasting and it is you know singing the praises Usually of said longer. company yeah that's true yeah, yeah longer um maybe a lot of uh, well a lot of ones that i do attend tend to be like beginning of the year this is what we're going to do in 2023 yeah. and do you want to hear do you want me to read my every brand and oh yes script? oh is this what you're angling for <laughs> <laughs> got it got so it. i imagine i imagine you know under this generic brand anthem video would be some inspirational music. i'm going to do this in something the edit sounds... i'm going to put some music in the edit so <laughs> <laughs> something that sounds kind of techy and inspirational All right, here we go. Every generic brand anthem ever. Every day, we make the world a better place. Because at Generic, we use the language that makes it look like we have it together. We connect people to technology, like ChatGPT, which probably would have done a better job writing this script. We use the word synergy to make it seem like we know big words. We'll use this section to talk about technology. We are forward thinking, connecting you to what matters faster than ever before. Low code, AI and machine learning, tech stack, cloud-based, innovative words, many words about tech. Did you hear that? Yeah, we're not sure what it means either, but like, for real. How will we do all of this while also committing to net zero emissions by 2040? No idea. But here's some windmills and solar panels. Pretty, right? Now we'll bring it back to our people, the heartbeat of our organization. Most of our employees don't look like this, but like, here's a quick montage of some people of color because we care a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We just haven't done a lot about that yet, but it's deaf on our to-do list. That's our promise. And now for this final section, we're going to bring it back to you. Because at Generic Company, we are making the world a better place, one brand video at a time. And we couldn't do it without voice actors. Thank you. Very, very good. <laughs> that was excellent. Um, can I request one of our listeners, if you have access to a lot of a stock video library of, of uh, you know, cheesy sweeping shots of, you know, farmland, <laughs> people wa- w- wiping their hand over wheat, parents throwing their children up in the air, like, 
just I'll, a montage yeah. of, of workers of color. Yes, exactly. All of that. <laughs> Please make a video from this. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, man. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, no, this is, but this is the structure of every single brand anthem. It's like, let, let us introduce ourselves. Let us talk about tech. Let us talk about what we're doing for the environment. Let's talk about our people and then bring it back. Yeah. Well, this is actually, this, this makes a good point because, again, every company is desperate to humanize their company. Yes. Um, they don't want to be seen as a large, scary corporation that doesn't care about their customers. So they that's why that cliche after cliche abound in this kind of content. So this is why I'm less doom and gloom about AI, because it would be just too easy and just it would ruin that whole flow for them to just take an AI voice and do that. If anyone yeah. got wind of the fact that it was an AI voice, their reputation for the sake of a few hundred bucks, you know, yeah. it's not worth it for them to use an AI voice. Um, no. So at least in the short term, I'm fairly confident that there will be a voiceover industry of some form or another for this kind of work. But again, like you said, it, you're saving a couple hundred dollars. And is the is the quality... I mean, I suppose if you're producing a lot of content all the time, a brand anthem is usually like a once a year thing, maybe a once a quarter yeah, thing. Yeah, like or a if you shareholder have a new meeting product, or something. Or, yeah. yeah, if you have a new product that's rolling out, you might do a couple anthem videos for that product or an explainer video for that product. Mm. But an explainer video is different from an anthem. An explainer really is like a long form commercial for a product that tells you how the product works. Whereas a brand anthem is like, a, I don't know, it's like a raw, raw trailer for your company, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> so you talked a, a little bit uh, before about how you do a lot of medical narration. Yeah. How do you get into medical narration? Is it a good genre to be in? How do you know how to pronounce a bunch of different things? How do you know when to use the American pronunciation and oh, when to goodness. use the British pronunciation? Yeah. Intestinal <laughs> versus intestinal. <laughs> yeah, I, oh. I, have, I feel like I, it, it's an extra layer for me to, to, like the difficult words are not necessarily the complicated words. A lot of the time it's remembering the Americanized version. They want to hire yeah. a Brit, but they don't want to have too much Brit in there, you know, so right. that's the challenge. Kind of how I mentioned earlier, getting on production rosters for companies that make a lot of this content, you know, they mm -hmm. tend to specialize. So, you know, video producers, like I say, studios that are local to in, in areas where there's a lot of pharma. Sometimes these companies have a whole production team in-house at uh, pharma mm -hmm. and medical companies yeah sometimes this stuff comes from agents you know because it's fairly fairly worth it for them you know it's fairly well paid and and again maybe a bit of an old school model there still exists i think in terms of you know there's a lot of online resources for figuring out pronunciation of things i have a fair amount of directed sessions that are pharma um yeah same. so same you know they can answer you there and then so um, mm -hmm. it's a little extra pressure, but I find that pressure actually helps with the um, with the flow. I'm really yeah. zeroed in. What about you? Um, medical narration, I really love it. It's like it, it kind of takes me back to my opera roots mm. where like you have to figure out what a word, how to pronounce a word. And you kind of have some idea of what it means, but it's like in another language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but once you get the once you kind of get the hang of 
where which syllable is emphasized in these medical terms, it's pretty easy to figure out how to say something just based on looking at the word. Yeah. And you can always go and and look it up. Um, you know, it, it, my my favorite dictionary to look things up in is uh, Merriam-Webster. Yeah. They have a, a really great medical dictionary that I use all the time, and it's great. But there are so many aspects to medical. You can do the important safety information for a medication, the ISI. In order to comply with uh, regulations, every single company has to have an audio version of their important safety information on their website for public consumption in case someone can't read the back of the medication box or whatever it happens to be. If you are doing commercials for uh, pharmaceuticals, you have to have a narrator, and then you also have the person who's doing the shortened version of the important safety information within the commercial, and that is a commercial. Yeah. So you get paid commercial rates for that, and sometimes the narrator and the ISI voice are the same, and sometimes the narrator is somebody else, and then they have a different voice doing the important safety information, and there are all kinds of interesting rules in pharma about what can be shown on screen yeah. while the important safety information is playing in the commercial. It's things like you can't have anything that's too distracting. <laughs> so like it's okay to show a couple getting in a car and driving off on a road, but it's not okay to show a couple getting into a car and uh, and, doing, and doing a race and speeding and doing donuts because <laughs> yeah. that's too visually yeah. distracting so that so the person watching the commercial is not listening to the ISI. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. It's very interesting. It's very legal heavy. Um, but then there's also like uh, training videos for how to use medical devices. Yeah. Mm. And those can be public facing or it's just for the radiologist to learn how to use the new mammography machine or or, you know, all kinds of all kinds of things. And if you feel comfortable pronouncing large words, then you should definitely look into getting to getting into medical narration. But at the same time, even if you're bad at pronouncing big words, I always tell people if you can say Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> You can also say meningococcal. Yeah, you know, like it's not. It does help. It's to not have so different. A general, a good general knowledge as well. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, you don't want to be stopping every three minutes going. How do, how do you pronounce that word? Yeah. Um, because the sessions would really drag, and it is very detail oriented. You know, very detail. You know, you can't say an if it's and. You know, it. it, it yeah. As picky as that. A lot of the time, I'll have pickups where I literally, it was the tiniest, like, tiniest little mistake, but it's got to match the text and they won't change the text because it's been approved. So, yeah, if you like detail focused stuff and, you know, the the better you get at sight reading, the better you'll be at medical. But the complicated scripts actually command a slightly higher price than regular e-learning. So you can actually charge a bit more for more challenging scripts and, you know. <laughs> A lot of pharma companies are not short of a few dollars, so you know that tends to work out quite well. So yeah, it's a nice genre to get into if you if you can. And and like you said earlier, it's quantity, it's regularity, and it can really help pay your bills, you know, and fund the other areas of your voiceover career. A lot of people when they get into voiceover, you know, they think of all the flashy 
genres like animation and video games yeah. and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be doing promo and narration for nature documentaries yeah. and stuff and and <laughs> the truth is those genres are very hard to break into and uh, a lot of that work goes to people who are in the Los Angeles area because a lot of it still records in studio not all of it um, but uh, it is kind of like a, a legacy those are legacy genres where you have to kind of already be in the business in order to get more work in that business and things like commercials are just not they're just not reliable yeah you know, a commercial is like, you know, this commercial is going to air and you you might get $15,000 for the whole run of this campaign. And that's great. But they might not renew your commercial and they might not use your voice again because they already used you. Whereas this kind of work is how people, a lot of voice actors, make a comfortable living. Yeah. So don't discount it. And if you want to do more of it, do more of it. It's a good genre. I know we keep bringing it back to the robots, but some of these products are brand new, like a drug name that they've just kind of <laughs> come up with this Rancistula. <laughs> I don't know. I just made yeah. it. You know, it's just a completely... Out of Analizumab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and the robot's not going to know how to say that. No, I mean, uh, there's been times where we figured it out in the session and you're the, like the first person to ever utter it. And now right. that's how it's pronounced from then on. Like, it's yes. kind of fun, you know. Um so yeah, it is. It is. I actually kind of enjoy it. It's kind of a real challenge. It's kind of like the Olympics for me. That's like the 100 meters final, you know, getting this kind of yeah. work. Um, but yeah. Okay. Um, we should probably wrap this up. So do you have any final thoughts on the, the non-broadcast genres? Um. <laughs> it's fine to say no. <laughs> wait, no, wait, wait, wait. I do. I do. I do. No. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We'll end there. 